This podcast contains discussion about adult topics. Use your judgment if there are little ears around. Welcome to Doing It. This is a podcast made by Family Planning Victoria. FPV has been running for over 50 years now. We run lots of education programs for communities and medical professionals across Victoria. We also run sexual health clinics in the city and Box Hill in Melbourne. My name is Anne and I'm part of the FPV schools and community team. We go to schools and run classes for all year levels on bodies, growing up, puberty, sex, consent, reproduction, relationships. This podcast is for parents and carers of school-aged children so we can share what goes on in a relationships and sexuality education class and help support these sorts of conversations at home. Today I'll be talking to Beck Martin from Evolve Education. Beck is the co-founder of Evolve. Evolve Education delivers cyber safety information to school-aged children and families. Beck has worked extensively as a teacher with primary school-aged children to support age-appropriate digital well-being and cyber safety. Like FPV, Evolve strongly believe that the best outcomes for young people come when there's a strong link between home, school and community. Evolve and FPV are both endorsed by the eSafety Commissioner as trusted providers. Young people are spending more time than ever online because they've had to. It's their school and their social lives. And I know that adults are concerned about children finding or seeking out sexual images or having unwanted sexual contact online. So what information do they get from school about staying safe? And what can adults do at home to support this? And how does cyber safety fit with relationships and sexuality education? Beck, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, we're going to talk about cyber safety, which is something you deal with all the time. And you work with a company called Evolve Education. Can you tell me a little bit about your organisation? Yeah, thanks for having me, Anne. We're a team of educators who work in primary schools to embed consistent and sustainable online safety programs so that schools can continue their online safety journey after we've left. And we know that online safety really needs to be a team effort. So we don't just work with students, but we also work with parents and carers, teachers, school leadership, and work really hard to make sure that everyone's on the same page. So when you go in and talk, you talk to parents as well, what are some common concerns that adults have about cyber safety? It really um, varies depending on the age of their children, but generally we find parents are concerned about cyberbullying, exposure, so that might be to graphic, violent or pornographic material. So maybe it's animal cruelty on TikTok or uh, being sent or accessing um, pornographic material. Unwanted contact and grooming, particularly through multiplayer online games and social media is another concern and device dependency, which isn't surprising given remote learning. And we are dependent on our devices <laughs> and young people are as well. No one's sticking to screen time limits, Anne. So the recommended guidelines for adults is two hours a day. And I don't know anybody that's keeping uh, in line with that. No, it's really tough at the moment. Um, and all those social connections are online as well. Yes, yeah, so important too, particularly for kids. So what sort of cyber safety education are young children likely to get at school? So in the primary school context, it's usually a real patchwork of approaches. Schools tend to offer an annual one-hour session on online safety, 
And having experts speak is a great starting point, but it's just not enough in isolation. When we're talking about online safety, we're talking about a really complex topic that's got a range of risks and challenges. So trying to give students all the knowledge and all the skills they need to be safe online in one short session once a year is kind of like training for a marathon by going for a run once. I agree. And um, given they're using tech all the time and they're at home, uh, young people even getting that one hour at the moment? Uh, some schools have been really proactive and have engaged TEPs like myself and there's um, others that can be found through the eSafety website. But it's really up to schools to decide what they teach and how they teach it. In Victoria, the online safety curriculum is really hidden in other subject areas like health and PE or um, personal and social capabilities. So it can be quite tricky for a teacher to explicitly teach it, but also find useful resources that they can implement easily into their classrooms. And one way of schools sort of managing this and sort of trying to embed um, cyber safe practices with the young people is creating the ICT agreement. Yeah, so they're called acceptor user agreements and most parents listening will have briefly seen them. They're usually at the start of the year crumpled up in the bottom of the school bag and the purpose of these is kids need to sign them before they have access to a device. Um, and I personally find them really problematic because in a lot of cases, the language that's used on them isn't really clear to kids. Um, it's often one form for all age levels and kids have vastly different experiences online from prep to grade six and the forms should really reflect that. And um, more so than anything, they should be co-created with students so that students have had input into what their values are online and so that they're the ones explaining it to parents rather than the onus being on parents to explain what the form means to their child. Have you had experience with these forms before? Uh, absolutely. As a parent, I've um, spent a little bit of time trying to explain to my prep student what uh, what inappropriate means mm. um, because it is used frequently and I, I would try and unpack that a bit and be more explicit about what inappropriate means. And for a prep student, inappropriate can mean, well, it's pictures of people with no clothes on. Um, and that's why relationships and sexuality education is so important. Um, it helps young children have that language to be able to report what they've seen and we understand more what inappropriate is. Oh, exactly. And we've seen it too with sort of kids being told you need to dress appropriately in front of your webcam. We do a lot of webcam safety as part of our programs, but kids actually understanding what that means can be really um, confusing. And also when it comes to, you know, kids accessing things that are inappropriate for their age, kids are naturally really curious. And so to say this thing is too old for you can actually mm. make a child want to seek it out as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that's um, it can be conflicting advice, do you think, if you're saying, okay, you need to behave appropriately in front of the camera at school, but in your online world, getting likes and getting seen and doing something interesting and getting followers can be really promoted and something that's sought out. Yeah, definitely. We call those vanity metrics, so things that sort of make us feel good, um, and that's really problematic for kids. 
A message that we deliver from prep to grade six, and it's really important and a great one for parents because they can model it at home as well, is keeping their personal information private. So things like their full name and their location. Um, and it's a great way of minimising unwanted contact and also identity fraud. But unfortunately, what we're still seeing schools do is provide children or their students with email addresses that identify the school's name and that actually gives away the child's location and in some cases we see that those email addresses also include first or last name which can make it really easy for a stranger to reach out and connect with them and pretend that they know them but also potentially locate them so as a parent um, you can also play a really um important role in what you're modeling at home too. So you mentioned social media before, things like setting your profiles to private, not hashtagging photos of your kids and being aware of who your friends and followers are uh, because we know that the danger can sometimes come closer to home uh, and, and thinking about who's following us and what photos of our children are we posting. And interestingly, uh, it's estimated that by 2030, two thirds of identity fraud will be as a result of information that parents have shared about their children online. So keeping personal information private is a really important message. Mm. And it's really tricky. And I know as, as a parent going to the netball game and wanting to share pictures uh, and wanting to take pictures of the netball team and, and what they're doing and what your kids are up to. Um, yep. And the uniform and the stadium in the background can give away their location. And look, if your profile's on private and you've got a small number of followers and friends, then that's, that's a, a judgment that you can make as a parent. If you've got over 150 friends or followers, the likelihood is those people aren't really friends, they're acquaintances. And if you're sharing photos of, you know, bath time or even um, sort of non-intimate images of your kid, they can still be widely shared sort of without your control or knowledge. We find that parents and carers and schools are often reluctant to talk about sexual content online with their children, um, obviously in hopes that their children just won't get to see it, particularly if they have good parental controls or good filtering at school. So how likely are children to see sexual pictures online? Using parental controls on devices, networks and programs is a great way of minimising exposure. But I think we need to be careful as well that we don't turn parents off by making them feel like if they don't have technical expertise that they can't look after their child. So it's sort of two-phase. You want to look at managing your devices, but then you also want to look at managing your child. So you can have everything locked down, you know, in your home and at school, but when they go to a friend's house, they might be shown something. They could accidentally pick up dad's iPad and see pornography that's been left on the browser. The likelihood is that about a third of kids under the age of eight will have attempted to access online pornography. So I'd be looking to have an age appropriate conversation with them sort of before then. The other message that I give to parents, a lot of parents hold off because they're worried about the right time to have these big talks with their, with their children. And I think it doesn't need to be a big talk or a sexually explicit one or scary. Instead, if we look at having smaller regular chats to, to our children about their online experiences, it's a lot easier. And you think about what you say to your child when they come home from school or a play date. What sort of questions would you ask them? Uh, what did you eat? <laughs> yep. What did you eat? Who did you play with? What games did you play? Did you do anything interesting? 
Parents rarely ask their children about their online experiences, yet look at how much time they're spending on devices. And so often the first time kids hear from parents is because something's gone wrong or they're having this big online safety chat. And sort of what we want to do is encourage parents to have little conversations along the way in the same way you would with their offline activities. Mm. And then pairing that with something like sometimes when we're online, we might see things that make us feel worried, confused or upset. And you can always tell me there's nothing you could ever do that would make me love you less. So if you listen to that script, there's nothing scary about that script. You could say that to somebody who's four or 15. So there's no reason to hold off and wait. And the other thing that's worth having in your back pocket is the script for after some exposure might have happened. So something like, I'm so glad you told me. That's a tricky one. I'm going to have a think about what we can do to make this better. And then we'll come up with a solution and we'll work on it together. And then what you're going to do as a parent is you are going to access these two resources that I'm going to give you and I'll get to, and to put them in the footnotes. There is an amazing app called the Beacon app. You can type in any issue, image-based abuse, exposure to pornography, issues on Roblox, and it gives you step-by-step instructions on how to manage that as a parent. And then the other resource that's fantastic is from the eSafety Commission, and it's called the eSafety Guide. And this tells you how you can report inappropriate behaviour on Snapchat, on TikTok. So you don't need to be a technical expert. You, I, no one's expecting you as a parent to know how to manage, get into, a, you know, how to lock down a Roblox game. <laughs> but what you can do is utilise these resources so that you can take a minute to go and do some research and then come back and be really informed on what you're going to do to fix the problem. Mm. Oh, you've said so much there, Beck. Um, <laughs> Talk too much. <laughs> Sorry, Anne. <laughs> um, I think that's really great advice. A lot of parents have that fear of the online and I think young people really pick up on that and they will hide or um, uh, know that their parents are scared so they don't necessarily share what they're doing online. Um, and so that stops the conversation in the first place. And it's funny too, Anne, because... Um, Research suggests that by the time kids turn eight, their parents feel that their child has exceeded their technical expertise. So they do stop having those conversations. And like I said before, this notion that parents need to become, you know, TikTok stars or Fortnite experts, really all you need to do is be co co-playing, co-viewing and communicating with your child from an early age so that they don't see it as an invasion on their space. It's just part of what we do as a family. We play games together. And again, Mm. asking those questions that we just talked about. Oh, who are you playing with in this game? How do you know it's Billy from school? You know, or who's this person? And, And listen to what they're hearing as well, particularly on games with headsets. Get the headset off and have a listen to what your children are being exposed to in these games. Things like uh, swearing. I think once you <laughs> once your child can spell, and if they've ever heard a swear word, uh, if you don't explain what that swear word means, they will look it up online, and yeah. that's a really quick shortcut to getting sexual pictures. Exactly, and uh, and a tip to combat that, Anne, is just turning on Google Safe Search. 
So kids don't type in addresses into URL bars. That's for old people. <laughs> they they get to everything through Google. So most kids have Google as their browser. Lock safe search. Not 100%. Older kids can get out of it. But for little kids who are going to type, you know, penis into Google search, it goes a long way in reducing that accidental exposure when little ones get curious. And you've mentioned something really key there is that older students can get around it. So I think you've really got to build those skills and build that communication at a time when you do have a little bit more control uh, over what they're seeing and what they're viewing um, so that when they do have those skills and that interest to get around, you, you have that open line of communication. Yeah, that's it. And we always say parental controls aren't 100% and that's why we manage the device and we manage the child. <laughs> mm. We believe that good quality relationships and sexuality education is a protective factor online. How do you think schools address the likelihood of young people engaging in sexual content online? Um, I think at the moment we're still on the back foot where schools uh, really do react um, to online safety issues as they happen. And what I'd like to see is proactive online safety education programs because they not only save, you know, selfishly, it takes up a lot of time. Teachers and APs spend a lot of time dealing with these issues, usually in their lunchtime, but not just saving time, preventing harm from happening in the first place. So schools obviously have a duty of care and things like the mobile phone bans across Victoria, having internet filters and adequate supervision can go a long way to help with that. But the other thing to consider is that teachers are often listed by students as trusted adults. And if students are turning to those teachers when things go wrong, whether it's about image-based abuse or online grooming or serious um, disclosures of cyberbullying, they don't, haven't necessarily had the really um, detailed professional learning that they need to, to manage those disclosures, particularly with things like mandatory reporting. So that can be really confronting for a teacher who's trying to help a student but doesn't necessarily have the skills to know what they're doing. Um, and they can also get into hot water uh, as well, particularly where, um, you know, child exploitation materials in um, concern too. I'd love to share with you, Anne, um, a little bit of a story about image-based abuse in primary schools. Image-based abuse sort of in a high school context usually looks like sexting and then the images have been on shared. Um, in some cases with adults, it used to be called revenge porn, but it doesn't really cover all that it is. Image-based abuse is basically sharing an intimate image of somebody or a video without their permission. Um, and that might be a picture of their private parts or them going to the bathroom, or it can even be them without their religious wear. So for example, somebody not wearing their hijab in the past, we might have seen young children flashing each other in the yard, and I'm sure you've come across this. What are some of the things that you see happening with sort of flashing and showing each other um, parts? Well, we, we know that that's of interest. Young yeah. people, you know, <laughs> especially early in, in primary school, are interested in the differences between bodies. Yep. And that's a pretty usual thing to ask questions, and we certainly get a lot of questions about those differences when we go into a primary school. Yeah, so if we take that idea and what we see happening sometimes offline and then consider that students are connecting with each other now online and still have that same curiosity, what we're seeing is young children often sending each other photos of their private parts and then these photos being on-shared. 
um, or in um, some cases with older students encouraging sort of flashing on video calls and then those images can be recorded without the person's consent and on shared. Where this becomes really tricky for a school and, and trying to protect the well-being of both target and instigator in these situations is we've got parents then screen capturing these images as well and trying to send them to either other parents to sort of be proof that it's occurred or sending those images to teachers and principals at school. And what isn't realised in this, these cases is that image is actually child exploitation material and it's being shared and it's being shared across often to adults. So there's um, an issue there where you've got possession and distribution of child exploitation material. So we really want to encourage kids to call out this kind of behaviour when they see it so that it can be jumped on quickly and so that it can be reported to the platform. So platforms like Snapchat can get it down quickly and also to report it to eSafety so that they can follow up and make sure that if it's been on shared, it's all tracked down and taken down and that um, instigator and target is supported appropriately. You can see as a teacher, that's a really tricky situation to be faced with that you probably wouldn't know how to manage that. It's really a difficult legal area I've found when you explore that and it's hard to know what to do if you think something illegal has happened potentially and adults kind of put that sexual overtone over nudity for their children yeah. in that context. Yeah. Um, so they might perceive it as illegal or harmful or sexual or unwanted sexual contact. Mm-hmm. Um, and to report a crime, you generally have to have evidence of that. So wanting to keep that, that picture or share that picture as evidence is, I think, mm-hmm. a really usual instinct. It is. And, and- I mean, even e-safety say that, you know, it's helpful to them if you have evidence. So it's just a very confusing situation that parents and teachers can be faced with and something that we need to work really hard to make sure that everybody feels protected and safe and able to speak up and not scared about the law, which is essentially there to protect our children. But just having a bit of an understanding about, you know, sending it to five other parents in the class about what is to be done with this child isn't an effective way of dealing with the issue. And that preventative model of going into a very young class and saying, hey, these body parts are private, these ones are okay to show, and the internet is a really public place. Yeah. So private body parts don't don't go on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) which comes back to you know making sure we're fully dressed when we're on video calls we say too we never take photos of anything under our bathers and that could be a great one for teachers too so I know that teachers feel really stuck sometimes with you know even mentioning private parts that terminology can help them sort of get around it a bit too yeah definitely which leads me to my least favorite word in education which is the word inappropriate (laughs) Um, I think it's a really common go-to word for teachers and parents uh, if they're talking about anything private or anything sexual and it really isn't specific enough and young people just don't know what it means. Yep, totally agree. And I, I think as well, if you don't understand what it is, that can create a sense of shame and sort of shames the, the real enemy to speaking up. So if you don't know what you've seen is inappropriate how do you know whether to speak up it's 
Um, it's really confusing. And it's a very long word, Anne. It's very yeah. tricky for little kids. I know, penis or vulva are much shorter, yeah. much easier to explain as well. I think that's something else too that's worth mentioning with um, exposure to pornography. And I know you've done podcasts um, in the past about pornography, but sometimes kids can see things and they don't necessarily have the language to tell us what they've seen. So if they're not aware of body parts or that, you know, they've seen something and they can't quite describe what they've witnessed they can sometimes be brushed off by parents because mm. you know and that's why it's so important and I think our messages are the same that using the correct terminology for body parts is really important because kids can articulate quickly if they have seen something that's inappropriate <laughs> yes. and also understand that they can take that to their trusted adult because their adult has used those words before in a positive way also so yeah. if they think they're going to go get in trouble for saying the word penis in front of their trusted adult, then they won't say it. Exactly, exactly. So let's assume that parents and carers have done everything in their capacity to protect their children from online harms. What skills and information do children need as they grow in independence on their way to becoming adults? I think the important thing to remember with children and as parents is that you can be really, really skilled up on every latest app and every latest danger. But what we really need to focus on is building the skills and concepts that help them evolve with their online environment. And that's why we chose our business name. So skills like identifying trusted adults, knowing what organizations are if they need help. So like the Kids Helpline, and they have counselors that are specifically trained with issues like cyberbullying trusting their gut. And I know that um, you guys use the term early warning signs. So what does that feel like um, and when they should talk to someone? And the big one, particularly for older kids, is being an upstander. So speaking up when they see negative online behavior. So if they see a photo of their classmate that's an intimate image being shared around, they know to go and see a trusted adult so that that can be dealt with quickly and save the target of that further harm or cyberbullying or someone's talking to someone they don't know online. Kids often know a lot about what their friends are doing. Um, and so they have a really uh, important role in, in speaking up. And I think that's another tip too for parents. Your child might not be comfortable talking about what they're doing, but they're often quite happy to talk about what their friends are doing. So sometimes oh, sneaky. If you, yeah. <laughs> oh, my friend Kate does this. So sometimes you can get a sense of what they're up to without directly asking them, which can be a nice way of finding out some more information. And so all of those things go a really long way in keeping our kids safe and improving the online world for, for everyone. For the right now, and you might be talking about in primary school, but well into the future as well, giving them those skills. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Excellent. Thank you so much, Beck. <laughs> Thank you, Anne. My pleasure. It was lovely speaking to you. <laughs> Thank you so much to Beck for that discussion. I think that really highlights how closely aligned cyber safety education and relationships and sexuality education are. A few things that really stood out to me in this discussion were parents don't need to be technical experts to be engaged in conversations about online activity. One third of children under eight years old will have attempted to access online pornography. Many times schools introduce cyber safety reactively after a problem has occurred. Encourage upstander behavior online. 
Shame is the enemy to speaking up. You can find out more about Evolve Education on their website. Beck recommends the Beacon app. For more resources, information, reporting and research, go to the eSafety Commissioner. You can also find the safety guide that Beck mentioned here too. For more information about Family Planning Victoria, you can go to fpv.org.au. You can follow FPV on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Contact us directly at doingit at fpv.org.au. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. Like it if you like it. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.